So today is Parsha Pinkas. It is the 41st Parsha in the annual cycle. We're winding down on the book of Numbers. We're hitting Deuteronomy pretty soon. Um, good morning once again to everyone. Good morning to the visitors here. Um, it's tradition to start off with a joke. I heard a funny joke this week. I was at Menards actually with Amber and my six-year-old daughter Joanna and we were leaving and Jan Joanna, my little six-year-old, tells a joke. She says, why does a cell phone have to wear glasses? Because it lost all its contacts. And I thought, I was like, wow, that's not bad, you know. Well, that's pretty good, Joanna. So I'm not sure if she knows, you know, all the context of that, but I was kind of well, I don't have to remember that one. So, Parsha Pinkas. The Torah tells us of a lot of great men that are compassionate and zealous for the people. But there's a couple men, leadership in particular, who are, have to deal with the people. That's what essentially Pinkas had to do. He was zealous. For the most part, it's Moshe that has to deal with the sins of the people. Um, and uh, he does that many, many times before uh, the nation gets turned over to Joshua and the next generation of leaders, which is kind of the point of Scripture where we're at right now. So Moshe and Pincus seem, at least at first, a close reading, that they kind of deal with the sins a little bit differently. Kind of seems like Moshe is always praying for the people, and Pincus seems like a bit of a uh, loose cannon here, right? So let's take a look at one example of how Moshe handles stuff, and then we'll kind of examine Pincus and see if we can't find some common ground between the two. We're actually going to start in Shemot, or the book of Exodus today, chapter 32. It is on page 96 in the complete Jewish Bible, but if you have a different version of Scripture... Exodus 32 is where we're going to be at. I'm just going to read the first um, group of verses here. You will, if you don't recognize Exodus 32, you will certainly recognize the story that it contains, because it's probably one of the most well-known of the accounts in all of the Bible. 32, verse 1 of Shemot. When the people saw that Moshe was taking a long time to come down from the mountain... They gathered around Aaron and said to him, Get busy, make us gods to go ahead of us, because this Moshe, this man brought up from the land of Egypt, who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what's ha happened to him. We don't know what's become of him. Aaron said to them, Have your wives, sons, and daughters strip off their gold earrings and bring them to me. And so the people stripped off their gold earrings and brought them to Aaron. And he removed what uh, they gave, he received what they gave him, and he melted it down and made it into a shape of a calf. And they said, Israel, here's your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. On seeing this, Aaron built an altar in front of it and proclaimed, tomorrow will be a feast for Adonai. Early the next morning, they got up and offered burnt offerings and presented peace offerings. And afterwards, the people sat down to eat and drink and then they got up to indulge in revelry. Of course, this is the sin of the golden calf. Meanwhile, up on the mountain, Adonai says to Moshe, Go down, hurry, your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have become corrupt. So 
So quickly they have turned aside from the way I have ordered them to follow. They, they have cast a metal statue of a calf, worshipped it, uh, sacrificed to it, and said, Israel, here is your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And I continued speaking to Moshe. I have been watching these people, and you can see how stiff-necked they are. Now leave me alone so that my anger can blaze against them, and I can put an end to them. I will make a great nation out of you instead. So here God is decreed. He's done with them. He's going to destroy them. Verse 11, Moshe pleaded with Adonai as God. He said, Adonai, why must your anger blaze against your own people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt with great power and a strong hand? Why let the Egyptians say it was with evil intentions that he brought them out to slaughter them in the hills and wipe them off, off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, don't bring such disaster on your people. And then here he invokes uh, the merit of the fathers. He says, remember Avraham, Yitzchak, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your very self. You promised them, I will make your descendants as many as the stars in the sky, and I'll give them all this land I've spoken about to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. And this next verse, the last verse I'm going to read, I think is just so profound. It says, Adonai then changed his mind about the disaster he had planned for his people. It's so hard to think about. Adonai changed his mind. But all this, anyways, because of the pleading that Moshe does for the people. And Moshe does this a lot, especially in the last several weeks. We've been reading in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 11, uh, 1 through 3, their uh, desert hardships cause complaints, right? Uh, his anger flares up and the fire consumes the outskirts of the camp. Moshe has to pray and plead for the people. Again, um, Bamimar chapter 14, verses 5 through 12, this is the bad report of the spies. Spies go out, give a bad report. Once again, not very good. Adonai has to plead for the people. Um, but Midmar chapter 16, Korak's rebellion. Again, the people are, it's almost like they don't learn, yet Moshe just keeps coming back and pleading to the Lord for them. Moshe deals with the sins of his people by pleading to the Lord. And he's one long suffering guy. I think if you look up long suffering, it's got to be Moshe's face in there because it literally was almost the death of this man. But in today's Parsha, it seems like um, Pinchas is rewarded for something that seems a little weird. If you remember, in the end of last week's Torah portion, what happens? We have Balaam has been trying to curse the children of Israel, and he can't get it done. So he resorts to getting the woman of Moab, right? He's got some Moabite women, and he sends them over there, and... He entices the Israelites into idolatry and sexual fornication. He is, uh, he's tricking them, tricking the men into that. And so at one point, um, one of the men, and, uh, a prominent Israelite, it says, in the sight of Moshe and the whole community, this Israelite takes this Midianite woman and walks and goes into a tent to have relations. That's when Pincus, in all his zeal, it's almost like he snaps. He uh, goes in there and runs a spear through the both of them at the same time. And 
the plague was stopped, it said. So while that seems like a kind of he took the law into his own hands, the plague was stopped and this must have pleased Adonai. And so that gets us to next week's Torah portion, Pincus. Um, it's been mid-March, chapter 25, verse 10, on page 181. I'm just going to read a few verses from it. Adonai says to Moshe, Pincus, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aharon the Kohen, has deflected my anger from the people of Israel by being as zealous as I am so that I didn't destroy them in my own zeal. Therefore, I am giving him my covenant of shalom. Kind of weird that he's getting a covenant of peace when he seems like some vigilante out there just meeting out Pincus' judgment. You know what I mean? But certainly, Adonai is pleased with him. Pincus takes action. This could be because, and you read a lot of different commentaries on the reasons, there's many. Certainly Israel was in grave danger. What had been happening with the Moabite women enticing the men into idolatry and sexual immorality is actually, the sages say, is worse than murder. Because when you murder somebody, you're just taking their physical life. But when you are drawing them into idolatry, what you're doing is going to kill them spiritually. These have uh, eternal implications. And so that's what was happening here. That's why, that's why moral decay is so dangerous. It kills you spiritually. Um, this is why uh, this problem, it, it's, just, it's a human problem. We deal with it today. Many of us, on a daily basis, get as frustrated as Pincus at uh, just society in general with the way sin seems to be uh, celebrated. And we all know this. We talk about it quite often. Our government, our media, they're almost like, in a sense, the women of Moab. And they entice us with idolatry. They entice us with lust, calling evil good and good evil. This is uh, almost worse than killing us physically because it messes with your spiritual life. And so like Pincus, sometimes I wish I could just slay them in their wickedness. Wouldn't that feel like some sort of uh, divine justice to, and you can picture your favorite source of wickedness in your head. And like Pincus, driving a, a stake through them. But this is problematic, right? Thou shall not murder. And so many commentators do find the story of Pincus a little problematic. And I have for sure because... Sure, idolatry is a capital offense, but what Pincus did seems like it doesn't follow the Torah. There's no trial, right? The proper punishment for idolatry is stoning. It's not driving a stake through them. It's not death by spearing. And idolatry wasn't even the charge. Technically, he was, uh, what set him off was a sexual immorality. And if you want to talk about the fornication, the fornication they were involved with was not... Uh, punishable by death anyways. And to top it all off, there's no Torah law that allows someone to be uh, the judge, the jury, and the executioner. That's just nowhere in there. Yet that's sort of, it seems like this is what Pincus is doing. So I see lots of common defenses in there. They sort of use the zealousness to excuse him. They say stuff like uh, some of these commentaries, a true zealot is someone who's utterly selfless. All he thinks about is God. He doesn't think about anything of his personal feelings or uh, inclinations. And 
That sounds nice, but all of us have personal feelings and inclinations. It's just being human. There's no human that can totally serve God without some part of his humanity messing it up. That's what makes us human. Another explanation kind of just goes right toward the, towards the source of the, uh, right towards the matter. It says, and I read this, I don't quote, he doesn't even care if what he is doing is legal or not. He is simply determined to put an end to a situation that incurs the divine wrath against Israel. So this is uh, ends justifies the means argument, right? Yeah, the means which he did it with wasn't exactly kosher. It seems a bit vigilante, but the ends justify that. And the Bible really doesn't have... Um, a second witness to that. There's nowhere in Scripture where the ends really justify the means. That's just not in the Bible. And I'd thought this for quite a long time, and then I read a commentary by Lancaster that sort of pointed out the obvious. I mean, maybe you've seen this already or know this, but I didn't, so I found it really enlightening. And the answer to this is found just a few verses back at the end of last week's Parsha. Chapter 25 of the book of Numbers and verse 1 sort of gets this whole thing going about the Midianite woman. So Numbers chapter 25 verse 1 says, Israel stayed at Shittim and there the people began whoring with the woman of Moab. These women invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods where the people ate and bowed down to their gods with Israel thus joined Baal Peor, the anger of Adonai blazed up against Israel. Now here's the next couple of verses are very tricky. This is the key stuff that Lancaster points out. Adonai said to Moshe, take the chiefs, all the chiefs of the people, and hang them facing the sun before Adonai, so that the raging fury of Adonai will turn away from Israel. Moshe said to the judges of Israel, each of you is to put to death those in his tribe who have joined themselves to Baal Peor. And so what we have here in verse 4 is the reason Pincus drove the spear through the two fornicators wasn't that he was taking the law into his own hands. He was simply following the orders that he got from Moshe, who got those orders from Adonai, right here in verse 5. Sort of similar to the way in the golden calf incident when Moses uh, tells the Levites to uh, take their swords and slay all the Israelites who worship the golden calf. You know, the Israelites were just following, or the Levites were just following orders. And here, Pincus, if you kind of read through it quick, it kind of sounds like he just snapped and, and is just going out on his own and is taking the law into his own hands. But really... He could be just following the orders of Moshe, who was following the orders of Adonai. And so, yes, Pincus was zealous, but Pincus was zealous to follow the orders of Moshe and follow the orders of Adonai. Pincus and Moshe were both men who followed the Lord. They tried to do their best, of course, but maybe they're a little bit more alike than they are different. Sure, sometimes it might feel rewarding to be a religious vigilante, but it's not how those, of course, in Messiah should act. Now, we can't help feeling that way at times, but we certainly should not act that way. We should be zealous for Adonai, of course, for the Torah and the, 
instruction that Yeshua gives us, but Yeshua doesn't order us to impale the wicked evildoers in our government, although we might feel like that. He tells us to love them. Tells us in Matthew 5.44, I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Think about your favorite politician. You've got to pray for them and love them. "Ah, I can't do that. Luke 6.27, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. See, you've got to think about them. You have to bless them. "Ah, I can't do that, love. (laughs) This is just the word of the Lord. Romans chapter 12, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, do not repay anyone evil for evil, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And that's kind of what it comes down to, do what's right in the eyes of everyone because we represent Messiah Yeshua, and that's what we have to represent. Where can you find instruction to do what's right? Well, of course, that begins with the Torah, that's the foundation. Sometimes it would feel rewarding to mete out justice like Pincus, but Pincus wasn't just taking the law into his own hands. He was simply obeying the Lord. He was simply following the word and being obedient. Remember, the Lord says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. A little King James for you there. We are to express love and mercy even to those who persecute us, even to the wicked. It's a high bar. I need prayer about that just as much as you do. Sometimes in life we can get all worked up watching the news when we see wickedness being celebrated. We need something to calm us down a little bit. There's a great psalm for that, and I'll close with this psalm. It's Psalm 145. Now, Psalm 145, it's on page 936. Psalm 145 is just not your average psalm. There's a lot attached to this. Personally, it's one my dad liked a lot. He loved this psalm. It's a traditional psalm. And the sages say that if you read Psalm 145 three times a day, you will have life in the world to come. Now, it sounds kind of crazy, but you've got to understand the way the sages work. They don't really mean this is a magic formula to get into heaven. What they're trying to do is to get you into this psalm on a daily basis, and it will bless your life. And it helps. It helps to, uh, because it's an especially good one that focuses on the praise of God. Kind of takes your focus off the world. Very helpful. Psalm 145, I will praise you to the heights, my God, the King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is Adonai and greatly to be praised. His greatness is beyond all searching out. Each afternoon... Every generation will praise your works to the next and uh, proclaim your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on the story of your wonders. People will speak of your awesome power and I will tell of your great deeds. They will gush forth, uh, they will gush forth the fame of your abounding goodness and they will sing of your righteousness. Adonai is merciful and compassionate, slow to anger and great in grace. Adonai is good to all. His compassion rests on all his creatures. All your creatures will thank you, Adonai, and your faithful servants will bless you. They will speak of the glory of your kingship, and they will tell about your might to let everyone know of your mighty acts and the glorious majesty of your kingship. Your kingship is an everlasting kingship, and your reign continues through all generations. 
Adonai supports all who fall and lifts up all who are bent over. The eyes of all are looking at you. You give them their food at the right time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Adonai is righteous in all his ways, full of grace in all he does. Adonai is close to all who call on him, to all who sincerely call on him. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. Adonai protects all who love him, but all the wicked he destroys. My mouth will proclaim the praise of Adonai, and all the people will bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen. May uh, we be zealous for Adonai and his word, his Torah. May the Spirit encourage our zealousness and our zealousness for him. And may the love of Yeshua that we have radiate out from us for all to see so that they can see the peace he provides. Shabbat Shalom.